Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 137 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And my guest today is long overdue. I've been talking with Kyle Dobbs to get him on for a while. He's the co-founder of Compound Performance, along with Matt Domney, his partner. And uh, my buddies, Dean Guido and Jeb Johnston, are uh, are part of you guys as well. And then they're two of the best people in the industry, good friends of mine. And like, like a lot of my episodes, these are great opportunities to very selfishly kind of get to know the people of the industry that I think are doing great stuff. Um, I like your media because I find it's always extremely thoughtful and nuanced versus some of the the polarizing or lowbrow shitty hot takes that we see in the industry that I think people do, you know, for for attention, attention and engagement. So it's great to have you on. Welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Good, good, good. You sound excited. <laughs> I mean, that's actually my excited voice. Unfortunately, I, I am a. It's my wife makes fun of me all the time about it. She's like, never knows where I am is from an emotional perspective, but I'm excited. I tease. I tease. <laughs> my 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 podcast co-host on my other podcast, Forever Strength Bailey. Like, you you can't get a rise out of her in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so one of the things that I I really enjoy about um, and I'm interested in about compound performance is the fact that you guys are a vehicle for both education for coaches, but also coaching yourselves. And it feels like, you know, there sometimes it feels like some coaches anyway are in a rush to get completely off the gym floor, literally or metaphorically and not work with people. They just want to educate or worse. They want to be business coaches, right? And there are good ones and there are not so good ones, but you guys have stuck firmly within the dual model. Where did that come from? Yeah, why did you guys stay firmly rooted in that? And I, I don't want to dig deeper as to how they're all going because I'm going to lead into more about kind of the current state of the industry. But why why that dual avenue? Yeah, so we, I mean, long story short, you know, I worked in New York in person for 12 years and went from being a trainer, like a tier two trainer straight out of school to being a master trainer, to being a facility manager, to being a district manager, to being a regional manager, to being a national director of fitness and education for another company. And then we had kids, you know, throughout that process, my kids were growing up, we were living in a two bedroom condo in Brooklyn, and um, just kind of decided it was time to move back to the Midwest, you know, where, where my wife and I are both from. So when I made that move is when I essentially went remote, right? Like that was kind of, I, I started compound performance after about six months here in here in St. Louis. And really because there wasn't a whole lot going on um, within person here in St. Louis is it's, it was somewhere I hadn't ever really worked. I didn't have a lot of connections. I looked a little bit at opening a brick and mortar, but I didn't want to take on the debt and some of the other things that go along with that and, and the lifestyle that goes along with that, to be honest with you. Um, and so I started compound performance by myself. And at first it was, you know, just remote coaching. And I moved into kind of a mentorship role as well, because I do have seven years of my career, almost exclusively in management development and education. So I, I worked with a lot of coaches from that perspective. And as I kind of exceeded my own capacity from a business perspective, um, I hired Matt on. He was actually a client of mine from a mentorship perspective and made a lot of good conversations. I, I first hired him to be my coach uh, to kind of test him out. And then I brought him on to offload some of my remote clients so I could do work on other parts of the business. And he's kind of grown through that process as well. 
And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I tell everybody that we work with, um, because we do work with a lot of coaches that are trying to go, they're trying to get off the gym floor, so to speak. They're trying to go from being in person or to remote is between the two of us, we've worked 30,000 plus training sessions. You know, it's, I've, I'm over 20 and he's over 10. Um, and that that's something where I think, you know, a lot of people miss that because it's it's not on social media, right? You as somebody who's been on the floor for 20 years, right? it's you're not filming all your sessions you're not you know posting all the all the sessions that you're training but that's where the that's where the you know the bread is buttered you know so to speak that's where the experience comes from and and i think that's something that we always try to get across to the people that we work with from an education side is we can teach you all the theory you know i mean we've both taken all the education systems you you name an acronym we've taken it we've also applied it through thousands of sessions on, on gym floors and various, you know, anywhere from box gyms in New York to working with professional NBA basketball teams and consulting, you know, so we we've applied all this stuff on all demographics and we can teach it, but at the same time, like it, it's theory until it's on the floor, you know, and I think that's where we try to really work with coaches on like their individual application based on the context and the environment that they work in, right? Like who do you, you work with from a demographic perspective what kind of environment do you work in is this stuff actually you know does it have utility with the people that you're working on and things that they want to do uh because you know you know going into like the polarizing realm you mentioned like there's really there's a lot of things out there that can be right in the right circumstance right uh, and i think a, a lot of what people argue about or a lot of what people post about it is really just their own contextual bias based on where they are, what they're doing and what they've had success with personally. And I'm all, you know, I'm all for people saying like, Hey, I like this thing. I've had a lot of utility and success with it, but kind of what you're saying when they go to the other side where they're like, everything else is trash. That that's when we kind of have some problems because that's just not true. You know, in most cases, like, yeah, there's some stuff out there that's probably not as applicable or, or whatever or realistic is other things but at the end of the day it all depends on who you work with and, and where they are so we we have now been in business for about five years um completely remote um i work completely remote a lot of that was honestly due to me wanting to spend a lot more time with my family i was working 70 hour weeks by the time i left new york and commuting um and then traveling uh, domestically almost every month. And I just wasn't being the the father, husband, friend that I wanted to be. So now I've got a much more condensed schedule where I can go to practices. I can go to games. I can, you know, drop kids off when I need to, I can help my wife with that. Um, and Matt still trains people in his garage. You know, he still trains 10, 15 sessions a week. Um, he's got a nice little garage gym and then he works remotely on our stuff outside of that. So, um, we've been doing that. We've worked with, Last year alone, about a thousand total coaches and athletes. Um, this year, we're probably going to exceed that by a couple hundred, um, and probably over the the five years, probably three to thirty five hundred thousand or hundred total uh, athletes and coaches between our individual mentorship, our group models, and our training clients. And you've done it all with humility, you know, focus on the person, people in front of you, and not participating in in the bombast that sometimes goes on within the fitness industry. Yes, it's uh 
it, it's it's tough to ignore sometimes because it is it's in your face and that that's something where you know we were talking you know off air just now but i mean 99% of our business comes through social media you know so it's something that we <clears throat> absolutely have to participate in you know and i think we'd be fools not to you know i understand the the utility of it it's it's modern day marketing and you know i'm we're very we're very close to the same age and got into the industry probably around the same time and you know, I was I was out there with a, a Nokia Razor, uh, no smartphones available, no social media, no nothing, right? And you know, if you would have told 22, 23 year old me that I could market to thousands of people for free someday, um, and not just the people that were literally in the gym that I was working with, then I would have told you you were crazy. You know, so I think that is something that um we have to take advantage of and we have to capitalize on for sure. Um, it's just yeah, avoiding the muck. And as you're doing it, I'm actually really glad you said that. Um, I just had last episode, uh, Jennifer Van Barneveld from, she's the owner of strong magazine. And mm -hmm. it's, she also said, you know, a lot about the value of social media and how social media is a driver of this stuff. And I see a lot of coaches. I, I get a lot of negativity about social media. Maybe I just notice it because sometimes it's, it's like biting back when someone just disagrees with something I've said. And I, I noticed the sour grape sentiment about, oh, you don't need social media to have a, you know, a good business. Now, that's actually true. Like, no, I, absolutely. I, we know it's true. And I think that the the relationship with the person in front of you, whether it's, you know, remote or whether it's in person, and then the word of mouth is going to be the ultimate driver. But I think that social media can be such a powerful point of leverage. And I find usually... Most of the sentiment that is negative about social media are people who <laughs> have a sour grapes attitude because they actually crave the status and the success that they think comes with social media. And then they also cherry pick and they look at the bad faith actors. We know there are a lot of people with large followings who are peddling absolute rubbish, but I don't tend to fixate on them very much. And I look at all of the great people in our industry who have big followings who are doing great stuff, whether it's your Luca Hosevars, your Molly Galbraiths, or your Don Saladinos, I could list a ton of great people. And I try to get coaches to discard the sour grapes attitude. And and what do we do when we have clients who have a negative limiting belief about something? We, we try to like talk to them about the way that they use that language and to sort of discard that because there are mental blocks holding them back from doing something that could be very good for them. Now, the coach who doesn't want to do the social media thing and doesn't need to, that's fine. Right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to spend all your time complaining about what influencers are doing, and if you're not actually in the arena to take up yeah. space, right? No, you're going to yeah. say. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's like, I mean, complaining is probably not the better use of energy than actually posting or doing what you want to do, right? Or, or doing something else, you know, touching grass and doing something outside of the 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 gym or virtual sphere, sphere altogether. Um, yeah, one of the, I mean, one of the things that I've told coaches over and over, especially younger coaches who, because of COVID or because of their age or whatever, haven't really been in a lot of facilities is you, all those demographics we see on social media that, you know, again, the, the bad faith actors, the good coaches, whatever, they're all inside gyms physically too. Like every gym I've ever worked with and had, 
the bodybuilder guy. They had the flashy marketing guy. They had the functional person. They had the yoga Pilates person, they had the, the mobility specialist, you know, whatever the strength guy or girl, you know, so they all had these caricatures. Now we're just, you know, they used to be limited to, you know, less eyes, but they were always there. Um, there's been snake oil salesmen in every gym forever. You know, that's not anything new. Now we're just seeing them online, you know, and they're, they are more, uh, more available, more accessible, which I think is more so the problem. But to your point, I think a lot of these coaches, cause I've had these conversations too, is they get so frustrated because these people are visible, right? It's not, it's not even the people themselves. Cause we know they're out, they're out there in every industry. Every industry you can think about has scumbags. Like there's no, there's, you can't walk down the street without tripping over one. It's the fact that they're so visible and they're so accessible. That's what people are really mad about. And like you said, it's like, get in the arena and be a positive voice, like put out good information, put out good content. hundred percent because like people scream for regulation of the industry. I've said this for a long time. Regulation is not going to get someone off the internet. The person who doesn't have a certification in the first place, who doesn't fucking care, who's going to say the stupid shit they're going to say. And maybe every once in a blue moon, you get a Brittany Dawn fitness, uh, I think she's a Texan, and she ends up actually like in legal trouble over it. That's a drop in the ocean of like fighting back against this rubbish. And for every one that gets knocked down for something like this, or let's say Goob takes somebody out you know, for something, right? On his social media. If you guys are not following Goob, he's hysterical. Um, there's going to be a thousand more. And so it's a hopeless endeavor to scream for regulation. And here's something I want coaches to wake up to. I think the coaches that scream for regulation, and I'm, and I'm not against more regulation. I just think we want to be very careful with that because you can end up with some weird stuff. Like people can make a comparison to the physiotherapy industry. You can look at what's going on with what uh, Adam Meekins right now, the sports physio where the physiotherapy association is actually pretty much trying to take away his license because they disagree with his social media. Right. So I, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily comfortable with the idea of whichever professional organization rolls up the most money or has the coziest relationship with the government that says, we're now the ones that you have to do everything by this textbook. And, and I'm not interested in hating on NASM because I think they've improved. And there's some great people I know who've been contributing to their curriculum, but, and I'm a Canadian. So like, Let's say in the U.S., all of a sudden, if NASA became the guiding star and you could not deviate from the prescription that was in that course or else you could get sued, all of a sudden our industry's quality is going to go down the tubes and it's not going to fix the problem that you think because the influencers online from other countries, they're going to still do this shit anyway and it's going to hamstring you in St. Louis. Now, another point, if we somehow successfully legislate and regulate all of the shit bags and the bad faith actors, actors out of the industry, off the internet. That still doesn't mean the people who are gravitating to them are going to come to you because they're going to recognize, oh, this is this great coach with no following in buckfuck nowhere. I got to go find them because they're good. No, you still have to do something to actually earn that attention and that business. So you may as well start there and that's going to fix probably a lot of your problems anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, and I can, you know, again, like, you can go on and on. Like there's, there's definitely something where, especially in-person coaches, like, no, you don't, you don't need social media. You know, it, it's like plenty of coaches are doing 40 plus sessions a week with no social media at all or, or no presence at, at all. 
um, off of referrals, off of just retention, you know, just training the same people for years and years and years. And, but if you do, and, and this is where I work with a lot of people, it's like, if you do want to go remote, if you do want to step into that sphere, social media eliminates kind of all your barriers, right? You no longer have a geographical barrier, right? You can talk to anybody anywhere. We, Australia is our second largest market. You know, we work with people all over the world. We last, last I counted, we were like 40 plus countries at this point and have been mm-hmm. through our programs, you know? So it's, it's like you, you, you have no geographical barrier. You have no time barrier. People can train at their leisure. Anytime you're just writing those programs for them and kind of guiding them through it and getting feedback and communicating. But when you're in person, like we all know, there's only, there's only five, seven AMs a week, right? It's like, you're limited to where you can, where you can put those people and, and again, like there's a lower barrier to entry from a monetary standpoint. When I was in New York, by the time I left, I was charging 250 to $300 a session. And now I charge 500 a month, right? You know, for remote coaching, right? So again, like there's a much lower barrier to entry for people if they really do want to work with you and have insights into what you do, you know? So I think that is something like there is a lot of positives there, but you've get you've just got such a bigger bigger pool to fish out of you know from that perspective and i think again if you want to go remote you probably need to step into the arena and start putting out content and doing the things and and for the people that are discouraged about like growing a profile like i get that it's i mean five years ago i had a private profile with 700 followers and it was dogs and you know cheeseburgers and whatever i was barbecuing there's like no fitness anything on my on my profile. So four years ago, I had 3000 followers from, you know, just the varied contacts that I had from, you know, life, what have you. And, uh, I wasn't organized or consistent with my social media following. Right. And well, shit, you're North of 50,000 and you know, I've done pretty well with it. So it is possible. And we're of a generation. We're a little bit older than the, you know, I think what you're like, you're a very like early millennial. I'm gen X. Right. And you probably don't think of yourselves. I think I'm like the first year of millennial and I barely missed out on the the Gen X. I I, I don't think your (laughs) age, one of my best friends, she's exactly your age. She does not like being considered a technical millennial. She fights that tooth and nail. But I think there's that big attitudinal difference. You guys are probably a little bit more like us and Gen X. Whereas I I think I envy the younger coaches for having the, the access and the savvy about media, but you know, I've developed that attitude and I don't really remember having a sour grapes attitude about it, but I remember believing I'm not the kind of person who could ever have that kind of a social media following. And now I've shit, I've shattered that. And now I teach it other people. So it's kind of rewarding. Now I want to, yeah. Oh, you first. Adaptation. Oh, I just said adaptation, man. You, mm-hmm. you find your environment and you grow. Now I wanted to ask you, I alluded to this earlier and I, I had a recent episode with my friend Aram Gregorian and honestly, like the feedback I got off, it was incredible. Like if anybody hasn't listened to it, please go back. When we talked a lot about how a lot of coaches are experiencing a slower season right now. And with social media, not a lot of people will necessarily want to show, quote, weakness or, hey, I'm not doing so well. And, you know, I feel like I'm in a great place in my business, but I've definitely seen a, I've got a lot of clients who are vacationing for chunks of the summer. Um, I've had a few people finishing up. Like I had a very extended period of time where like I was referring out everything, right? I couldn't take anybody else on. And now all of a sudden I've got that bandwidth. And then I had a conversation with a close friend who's very successful. And he's saying that his, you know, mentorship business is a little slower than it was. And that 
there are some companies that are primarily coaching mentorships that are actually really hurting right now. And I got a lot of messages from coaches who are just like, thank you for sharing this conversation because they were feeling very alone and why am I struggling? So I guess what I want to ask is, what do you say to the coach who's nervous right now? I really think at this point, you know, especially coming out of like post COVID and everything else, like I honestly don't think there's a better time to get into the fitness industry. I, I think the general public has a higher interest uh, and, and even just knowledge base of health in general. And, and I do think, you know, again, interest will drive where they put their money, you know, from that perspective. And, and I do think that training is going to pick up a lot. And that's something that, you know, Matt and I actually just went through a lot of stats because like we have over the last year, we've developed uh, an app for fitness nutrition delivery. And we're in the point now where, you know, we've got a developer and some other people working with us on it, but we've kind of hit our bandwidth of what we can do with the small team. So we're, we're getting ready to fundraise. So we're putting together pitch decks. So we're getting like industry stats, right? Like we're going through getting all these industry stats and the growth model for like projections for the next 10 years within the fitness industry and the online fitness industries are huge, like massive, like 150 to 200% over where we are now. And, you know, if I'm talking to coaches, it's like, you know, the, the biggest thing that you can do is if you're going to get in, if you're going to get into it, you need to get into it. You know, and I think just throughout the years, especially in management and development, one of the biggest things I've seen is this is an industry where it's hard to make it with one foot in the door. And, and that's scary because it is hard to, to jump in, right? Like we all, we all know that too, but there is a lot of potential and, and there is a lot of growth opportunity, both in person and online. And for the people who are doing both, even more so. The hybrid model is the one that has the biggest growth projections, right? And, and I think that's where, as coaches, if you can build a fairly stable business with in-person, right? Again, 15, 20, 25 sessions a week, and that covers all your expenses. And then you can fill in all the rest remote. And you can take on some remote clients. You can do some other things. Um, and kind of stack that on top and have, you know, diversification of your revenue streams and what you're doing. I think that's a very positive model for people to work within. And I think that's something where, again, like we know it, like I've, I went years training 200 plus sessions a month in New York and the, the burnout is real. Like it is a hard taxing, grueling job, right? And and you add on top of that, that you also like to train and work out and do other things. And there's not a lot of energy left to go to other places in your life. So if you can find a model where you're, where you can cut some of those sessions down and kind of do enough to fill your bucket, pay all of your fixed, you know, bills, right? If you can pay your, your housing, your car, your debt, whatever, and then everything else is coming out of your remote, which is much more scalable from a horizontal perspective, right? I think that allows coaches to really kind of exponentially grow what they're able to do um, just through scale, scalability alone on the remote side of things. And there's something that you can do within it. So let's say you build out the remote, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're able to cut down on the number of sessions that you need to do every week. Well, then there's a bit more scarcity on those sessions and you're going to feel more confident in actually asking for a higher rate for those sessions 
And then the people who've been working with you, well, they're going to want to keep working with you as long as the increases are are reasonable. I mean, you can get aggressive with them. I tend to be more reasonable. But anybody new coming in have to self-select. And oftentimes, <clears throat> sorry, there's something that happens where if people are paying you know, a premium for your sessions, they're also taking them more seriously. They're less likely to cancel them you know, or they'll, they'll window their way out pretty quickly and you'll work with other people. But they're probably going to look at this and going, I'm, I'm spending a lot of money on this. I have to take this very seriously. So there is something to be said. Alex Hormozzi talks about this a lot. And I agree that you could actually achieve better results for people simply by having them pay a higher price for the service. And I think a lot of coaches make the mistake of trying to be too discounted, right? I mean, the whole the whole race to the bottom is a, is a terrible mistake that I, I want coaches to just completely and utterly discard. Thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't even bulk rate our pricing for anything. It's the, the monthly price is the monthly price. The session price is the session price. You can invest in as much as you want at any given time, but you're not going to get a discount for doing more per se. Um, I'm and, and, I think that, and I think that's huge. And, and I definitely think, you know, it, I think part of that is that box gym model too, where everything is bulk rated. There's sales every month, there's closeouts and coaches typically are at a fixed rate on sessions, no matter what, regardless of their tier. So they don't mind giving discounts because that's actually, that's money coming out of the organization's side of things. Right. But then when you go private or independent or whatever, like all of a sudden you give discounts and that's coming out of your pocket. And I think coaches don't really realize that until they're in the moment. And, you know, much like you just said, it's, yeah, the, the more invested people are, you know, financially, especially the more serious they're going to take it, you know, and you will filter out some people that are maybe again, not the right client for you just based on what they're able to do, you know, time-wise or whatever. Um, and, and you will be able to have a client base that's more engaged and more adherent um, more often than not. And the converse is if you come out of that system, because I came out of that system, mm -hmm. if you train yourself to go, well, I need to offer a sale when I'm slower to attract more clients, you're doing a few things. One is you're saying that I'm, I'm saying I'm worth X price, but I'm really only worth Y price. That's problem one. But problem two is by offering that sale, <clears throat> in theory, if you're attracting people, then the people you'll attract will be more price sensitive, which is going to bring a type of clientele that are not going to be the greatest to work with. And you are further training yourself that every time that you hit a slowdown because you're working with this kind of people, then go and turn around and offer a sale again. And so it embeds this, the wrong mindset, I think, in the long term. And I, like you, there's no bulk discounts. Uh, my, my prices are my prices, my monthly for online, my in-person and I've had people sit in front of me and it's rare, but at this point now, people who self-select to me based on reputation, they're, they're pre-sold. They know where they're getting into. Right. But I've had people sit in front of me and, you know, it, quote a number and they're expecting like a price that's like two thirds of what I'm, I'm offering. And I know what they're doing is they're sort of like, it's a starting point for a negotiation. And I'll politely say, well, no, I'm, I'm sorry but I have a few coaches that I can probably recommend you to. And then that's it. Like I just don't even engage in that because to me, it, it's not that I take joy in it, but I'm secure enough in the way I've gone about things to feel good about the fact that I can actually say no to someone who I don't think is going to 
going to be a good fit. So there's a sense of relief when that happens, right? If I've got a client who has been struggling a lot with attendance and let's say that they're fighting with me over cancellations or something like that. Again, this is fairly rare, but it's happened over the years. You know, the old me would pay more attention to that client and spend more time and energy and stress trying to get that person in, which of course permeates into everything else you're doing. You know, everybody else you interact with feels it because you're stressed and worried about this. When you let that person go in a professional and polite manner, but you get that client out of your schedule, I've trained myself to go, well, I feel at peace. And then your energy is better. You're pouring into the clients who are showing up and taking this seriously. They're going to recommend more people, refer, they're going to stay longer. And everything turns around and there's a switch that flips. And all of a sudden it just gets easier. And then you attract more people. And, and there was one pivotal point years ago where all this clicked for me. And then within the space of the next two months, I had eight people come out of the woodwork just to come work with me. And then a couple of those were great fits. So they got filtered. And that just continued. And I've never had a problem since then. No, I completely agree. I mean, a lot of it is, again, the ability to, and, it, and I mean, again, early in trainer's career, you say yes to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I never want the, the impression that, you know, or, you know, the first year, two years, even three years of my career that I was training everybody at like maximal rates and whatever. Like I was, I was wheeling in a deal and I took every consultation. I worked from five to nine. Uh, AM to PM. I was in a gym all day talking to every person on the floor and I would sell whatever price sessions that I could. Right. And, and I think that's something where early in your career, it's like you kind of eat shit, right? You, you just, you train as many hours as you can. And, and until you get to a point where you can start raising the median price and you can start filtering out people who maybe aren't as serious or aren't good fits for the type of training you're doing, or even aren't good fits personality wise, you know, just based on these are relationships, right? Just based on person to person relationships. And it takes a little while to do that, you know? And I think when you get to a point kind of where you described where you've got a full schedule and you genuinely like everybody you train and they pay your rates and you do need to fill, you know, one person leaves or moves or whatever, and you need to fill a spot and you can say no to people who come in and they lowball you or whatever. It is like that, that is a good place to be. That's where people strive to get in this industry for sure. There's something else in there too that I wanted to elaborate on. She uh, lost my train of thought there. Uh, holy crap. Sometimes my mind blanks on me. It was uh, something that Hormozy talks a lot. Oh, it was about the early career skill acquisition. You are mm -hmm. making the trade off and okay. you are paying a price in, in sacrificing high end earning potential to learn skills, right? Mm -hmm. And I think two of the main skills for coaches are A, sales, but B, the actual experience of training people. And mm -hmm. what you described was maximizing because time's a valuable asset. So you're acquiring those skills as quickly as possible and paying some of your top end earning potential to acquire those skills, which will then be magnifiers of future, future earning potential. So if there's a coach listening who's early in your career, now this, this isn't, I'm not sympathetic to the fact that people have to pay their bills. Yes. But if, if if you can eat shit, like you said, and somehow just live lean. I mean, there's another hormone thing. Live really lean for now. Rapidly acquire these skills. Get better at it. Get uncomfortable. If you don't like sales, it's not about dirty, greasy, stereotypically used car salesman sales. This is about believing in what you do, 
understanding how to to field objections and see objections as opportunities and do what is right for the person in front of you. We're not talking about hustling or misleading people. We're talking about no. knowing that you have something great that can help this person. And this is probably not my original thought. I've been saying this for years. If you've got someone in front of you who really needs this and they're hesitant and scared, and for whatever reason, you're just not good at the process and they leave because you didn't make them feel welcome and safe and see the value in it on impulse, that person is going to walk into another place and the person they get in front of may not have your skill or integrity or intentions. And that person may be worse off as a result, or they may never come back and continue on the path that they're on, which is health decline. So there is a little bit of an obligation to actually get comfortable with that process. And, but I I remember being nervous about certainly anything cold, very nervous about it early in my career. I didn't think I could do this stuff. No, and that's where I think, you know, even, you know, sales has a negative connotation. And and again, because I do think people associate it with, yeah, like the greasy, slimy stuff, you know, and, and, and again, I think if you're, if you are comfortable in the value you provide, there's nothing greasy and slimy about it, you know, and I think that's something where the coaches that I work with that have that view of sales, they're probably also the ones that are oftentimes the least confident in what they're, what they're doing. And that, and again, that doesn't mean they're they're misleading or whatever. They're just not confident in, in what they're doing. And you know, so I think there is there's an aspect of that skill acquisition. You know, and it's getting in front of as many people as possible. The more people you work with, the more value you show, the more confidence you get as well within that process. And, and I think that the better you get with that, at that point, when you have somebody in front of you, you're kind of just telling a story, and then you lay out the prices, you lay out the options, and you let them pick. Um, and, and I think that's something where like throughout my career, like I don't ever remember feeling like I forced a sale on anybody. I mean, I probably undercut myself more, you know, especially early in my career than, than anything else. But after that, a lot of it was, you know, I'd go through a consultation and we'd talk and we'd chat and we'd talk about a plan moving forward. And then I would just lay out options like, Hey, like, you know, the, the way I typically work with people is, you know, once, twice, three times a week for this amount of time, then we kind of reassess and re up or whatever. And at that point, they can make the decision that's best for them financially, time-wise, whatever, you know, even if it is walking away, um, you're not going to get everybody for sure. But, but it's never, again, like, I think that people like to default to the extreme of viewing sales for like that hard sell. And I don't think that's usually actually what it is for most of us. So something else that I fished out of your media that it aligns really well with everything we talked about. You had a recent post that talks about how much people work versus how much they accomplish. And it, it specifically had the quote, show me your results, not your hours. And this is something that I like because it, it goes back to the big box gym model where we're paid in terms of the hourly session rate. And I actually am fine with that model. I've, I've thrived within it. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. However, I think as an extension of that, especially as we get into the remote side, a lot of coaches explicitly link the amount of time that they put into the, like with contact points, getting on calls with the clients when, and and linking that to their value, right? And then get nervous about, well, I'm not delivering on a lot of the stuff because there's not as many touch points. And then the coach is creating a lot more work for themselves, but they're also creating more work for the client. And I want to get coaches at least to be alert to this, that it's the result that matters. So do you want to, like talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a few things there. Probably is 
you know, the, the first point, especially with remote coaches, and, and one of the things that one of the biggest obstacles that we see with the, the people we work with is one, they don't have good systems set in place. They don't have good automation set in place. Um, and as soon if we can clean that up early on, that'll take hours out of their weekly schedule. And, and I think that's something that we do quite a bit as far as everything from working with them on billing to automated responses onto proactive, you know, surveying and feedback, you know, resources uh, for their clients and, and then getting into the actual programming itself and finding ways to more efficiently program for your clients. Like one of the things that we do is personally is we program weekly rather than monthly. And that takes a lot of time off of our plates over the course and it allows us to be better coaches because we can make week to week changes rather than month to month changes. Right. Um, the second one there is, you know, we also go through business planning with everybody and we talk about a dollar per hour, but we associate it with somebody's expenses, right? Because, you know, a lot of coaches come to us and they're like, Oh, I want to make hundred thousand dollars. You know, everybody wants to make six figures in this industry. And I'm like, cool. Like, that's fine. You know, it's, that's a great, that's a great number to strive for, but you know, where do you live? Because a hundred thousand dollars in Manhattan gets you three roommates in a two bedroom apartment and $100,000 in Paducah, Kentucky gets you a five-bedroom, three-bath house and a BMW in the driveway, right? So these are two very different lifestyles based on the same amount of finances. So we go through and we talk with them about all their fixed expenses, right? Like, what's your cost of living? Do you have other you know, equity? Are you paying for a car? Do you have school debt? Do you have credit card debt? what are you paying for every month that's fixed now what is your variable spending right what's your food what's your 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 fund spend whatever what do you want to save every month and we figure out what that number is right and then we go through and we figure out okay you know ideally how many hours a week do you want to work right so maybe that maybe that is you know that's seven thousand dollars a month or something like that and we have to equate that to well that's going to be taxed out so you really need to make ten thousand dollars a month you know, to, to actually meet those ends from a net perspective. It's $2,500 a week. Do you want to work 50 hours a week? Or do you want to work 25 hours a week? Because again, that's a big difference in your pricing. How much are you charging per hour? And once you figure out what their dollar per hour is, say they want to work 25. So, okay, that means everything, every hour that you work needs to be worth $100. So now we can actually build a pricing model off of that number. Right. So your sessions are going to be around $100. If anything, they're going to be scaled up rather than scaled down. Your remote coaching, how many hours a month do you spend on remote coaching? Four on average with clients by the time you program, by the time you're doing calls, whatever. Okay. That's going to be around $400 a month. Right. So everything isn't equitable in total price, but it is equitable in dollar per hour. So the actual usage rate. And I think once we get coaches to kind of look at it that way, now we have a pricing model. Now we have scaling. Now we can meet the the consultations we're on where they're at, right? Because not everybody has a thousand dollars a month to spend, but they might have four hundred dollars to spend, whatever. Uh, so we can find a service that we provide that meets their needs at the level of entry that they're comfortable with for the time. And there's always upsells and downsells and everything else down the road. Uh, and, and that's kind of where we look at it from a lifestyle perspective and from an organization perspective and just, you know, how to get people more efficient within that process and to guard their time a little better, to be honest, because boundaries are also a huge thing for coaches. It's like, it's very easy to be like, 
client reaches out with a question like, oh, let's hop on a call for 30 minutes. We'll talk it out. You do that four or five times a week though. And all of a sudden the hours start stacking up, you know, and I think it's coaches, coaches in nature, I think, or I like to hope a lot of the ones I've, I've interacted with are a little altruistic by nature. Like I don't think people get into this industry without wanting to help people, at least at the beginning. And they're very prone to sacrificing their own time at the cost of helping other people. And, and I think if we can organize what that actually looks like, like my remote coaching is four weeks of programming. We've got feedback daily subjectively. We've got feedback weekly, again, through an automated questionnaire based on your, your week of programming, whatever. I'm going to review a program. I'm going to review any videos you submit. And then once a month, we're going to hop on the Zoom call and talk about where we are as far as the LTA, right? And that an hour call plus what it takes to program, that takes me about three hours or so. That meets my dollar per hour. You know, and I think if I can hold true to that, I'm good. If I can get it more efficient, even I can do that now in two hours rather than three. Now I'm hyper profitable within that realm. And if I've diversified my business, now I can look at the profitability and how I'm doing within my mentorship, my remote coaching, our group model, whatever. And if I want to drive more business, if I want to increase my revenue, now I have inputs into what I should be driving based on profitability and margins. And I can run my business like a business. I think this is the best tactical, like how to build a business episode I've ever done on this. So I hope everybody listening is enjoying it. On the other side, some of the clients we're going to want to work with, they want the results and they want them efficiently. There will be clients who self-select to want to have more touch points. Yeah. And for the greater touch points, I like the asynchronous uh, means of communication with voice messages. I send a lot of voice messages. It's my favorite thing. And I think if you get in the habit of just sending more of them, people are hearing your voice, just letting letting them know that you're there. And then they can respond when it's convenient for them. It's probably a lot easier to actually build into your schedule to, you know, to send out those messages and then have people respond because people have busy lives. I mean, one of my clients is a um, former college football star turned lawyer in New York. The man has a busy life and we will probably get on a call maybe every two months because he wants to go over some more stuff in depth, but really it's just making sure the program is there for him. And then it's just asynchronous back and forth, some voice messages, sorry about the plane going overhead. Okay. Uh, you know, I've got a client in the Philippines and she's a lawyer. I seem to have a lot of lawyers I train just randomly. And again, we're talking about different time stuff there. So again, I just drop a lot of messages on her. She's actually very functionally independent. She just likes the structure. And what I found is a lot of my you know, re remote training clients, they, they like the structure and knowing that I'm there when they need me and I'm pretty responsive, but only a few of them actually ever ask for video calls. Now, I think that video calls can be very valuable and I think it's an excellent piece to offer. And I'm probably going to build more of that in as I look into more of a nutrition coaching offering as well. It's something I'm exploring, but don't just think that the more time you spend on people, the more it because I think from the coach's standpoint, it feels like it's justifying your price. If you do ultimately train yourself and your clients to be paying for a result, like there, there's so many metaphors about this. It's like, would you rather go into uh, you know the, the car dealership for service? And I think I'm stealing this one from Hermosi again. It's like, 
do you want to have eight hours worth of like work or do you want the problem fixed in 30 minutes to get back out of there? Well, which is it, right? And people have busier lives than ever. So why make your com your process more complicated, more arduous and more time intensive for them when what they really want is the result? And, and some, yes, they want the time. Sure. Okay, that's fine. But I think we need to delink that relationship in our brains or at least be open to it. I hope people are kind of going, oh, shit, I do that. Like, ask yourself, do you automatically do that? Think the amount of time I'm putting into something is the justification for my worth and my rate. Start questioning and challenging that narrative in your own brain. Yeah, we one of the, the similar uh, analogies we have in the Midwest is has to do with chopping down trees with an axe rather than a chainsaw. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's something I think, especially for young coaches. And and again, this, I mean, this can go a lot of different ways and even go into the actual consultation process and the assessment process and goal setting, you know, because if you don't have, if you don't have actual objective or measurable or empirical outputs kind of predestined, right, and you don't have timelines for those things, you have very little to show, you know, over three months of working with somebody. And I think that's something that, I mean, even early in my career, one of the hardest lessons I learned is, you know, I got a, I got a client from my manager. I didn't even have to sell her, but she, you know, she came in and she bought 30 sessions at a, at a high rate. And he gave her to me because I was doing good at well, well, at what I was doing. And we go through, she's three times a week in the first couple of weeks, everything's going well. Like she's, she's showing up, she's adhering, she's working hard, whatever. And then over time, she again her adherence dropped off she would miss sessions here and there whatever and by the time her 30 sessions were done you know she hadn't hit the goals that she wanted and myself i wasn't holding her accountable near as much near near as much as i needed to you know from that perspective every time that we met she we were having a great session we had good good rapport good conversations whatever and I literally walked up the stairs to her like yelling at my manager because she hadn't lost, you know, the X amount of weight that she wanted to lose. And part of that was because I, as the coach, you know, looking back did not set the expectation of what needed to be happening in session and, and showing up to sessions. She was great when she came, but by the time we got through that 30 sessions, it was probably maybe 66%, maybe closer to 70, whatever not enough. And she wasn't necessarily doing the things outside of the gym that she needed to, to also hit those goals. And I wasn't nearly as, or holding her nearly as accountable as I should have been. And I was, you know, that was something that I learned really early on where it's like, okay, like it's the results are the thing. People can like you. People can want to work with you. People can enjoy their sessions. You can build really good relationships. But if they don't get to where they want to be from a, a physical, physiological, aesthetic perspective, whatever, they're not going to be happy, you know? And, and I think that is something where, yes, we want the process to be enjoyable, especially when we're working with clients and we're providing a service, but you can't lose sight of the goal. Like you can't lose sight of the goal. It can't just be like you're, you're sitting down and talking with a friend for an hour and they're doing a little bit of lifting. Um, and, and remote is the same thing. It's like, we want to have a good process. We want to be able to communicate, whatever. But we also want to achieve all these metrics that you you came to me for originally before we had a rapport, before we had a relationship. And I actually find over the years, like I, I'm grateful you shared that because given where you are in the industry to hear 
that like experience that, you know, you probably, they're probably something that like eats at you a little bit. Right? We all oh, I, have, I was, I was horrified. Like I felt terrible. Every one of us, you know, even the ones with big media followings or doing all this stuff like public speaking, writing, we all have those things we look back at and we go and it just eats at us. And, you know, you feel guilty, ashamed, what have you, just like, oh man, if only I had done that differently, or if I hadn't made that mistake, or we all have those. So every one of you guys who kind of feel on that shit right now and thinking you're the only one and everybody else is, is superhuman at this stuff. We all have shit that we look back at and go, man, I wish I could have gotten that person, you know, more. I wish I had done something differently. That That's very real. Um, and I think with online coaching, with remote, I think the people who self-select to it, who would value it, are probably going to be, on average, I find that they get better results on average because they're the ones who self-select to the structure and the accountability. And the in-person client, I mean, shit. I've seen crazy transformations, but a lot of them actually do gravitate towards becoming lifestyle clients. And I think you guys are probably in the space where it is a bit more performance. So you probably have people who self-select to yeah. physical transformation, athletic performance, strength, et cetera. If you're a general population trainer, I will say this, it's actually okay to have clients who do it because mm -hmm. maybe they're, they're comfortable with not having quote abs but they know this is good for maintaining their health. They know that they have lifestyles. There's certain things that they're not ready to give up. I've, I've had clients who it took years and then a switch went and all of a sudden they kicked it into another gear and they were way more independent, but they weren't ready. Right. And maybe I could have pushed them. Maybe I wonder, but you yeah, will have maybe. like, Oh, you, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's because it's okay to have lifestyle clients who maybe they don't see the most aggressive transformations, but like, I'll use my client, Larry, for example, right? The 73-year-old on my media. And Larry loves picking up heavy stuff. And he knows that at his age, this is one of the health, healthiest things he could do. Larry is, by his own admission, stubborn about significant nutritional change. He's made changes and he's lost some weight. and But there's there's barriers there. And I have to walk a line between nudging at him, poking at him, trying to create a supportive environment, but I understand the psychology, but what's the alternative? He yeah. quits, goes and stays home, sits down. He loves to read. He he binges science fiction. He loves that stuff. And so what's he going to do? Do that 100% of his time and then his metabolic health will deteriorate? Not an option. So for Larry, it's important. Now, he does work hard when he's there, but it's still on me to try to communicate and unlock something more. But at the same time, I'm still happy that he's showing up and he gets a lot out of it. So it's a fine line. Oh, yeah. I mean, based on a lot of people, I mean, based on the average American lifestyle, if we can maintain health, like we're swimming against the stream most of the time, right? You know, and I think there is in the gin pop realm, you know, you work with people two to three hours a week and you can give them advice and inputs and, and information about things they should be doing outside of the gym, but you don't have the highest amount of influence in their lives. You know, you just don't. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that a lot of coaches do need to understand and, and not be discouraged by where there are a lot of co a lot of, a lot of clients who are happy to not, to just not deteriorate or to get, get worse. Right. They don't necessarily want to change their lifestyle. I had, I had a lot of clients in New York, especially who were in business and like the social aspect of their business was so important like the happy hours and the dinners and the traveling, like that's where the deals got done. That's where they made their money. 
late nights of, you know, just eating takeout and whatever and not sleeping right and doing all these things. And it's like they couldn't change their lifestyle. They didn't really have control over that, you know, and I think that's where as a coach, like you have to understand, like you're not going to take this person who's making their living off of this job and and get them to like rearrange their entire life. The same thing when you're working with like parents who have kids and jobs and everything else, right? They're, their nutrition is not going to be perfect. Sleep is not going to be perfect. Like they're not going to get all the activity they want sometimes because there's other things going on. Uh, like I always use my wife as an example of this. Like on Monday, like she woke up, she manages teams in, in other countries as well. She started her day at seven o'clock um, and she ended her work day at five. And we went to a swim meet for my oldest son where she was laid. I took him at four and we got home at 11 o'clock. I mean, what do you do? Like, what, what, like, what's the solution there? You know? And I think that's, that's where as a coach, like, you just need to understand that a lot of, a lot of clients, like, yes, like they have goals, but also like the lifestyle has to match those goals. And if you can't change the lifestyle, you do the best you can. And over time, things might change, but sometimes it's like, yeah, like we're just, we're keeping them from falling back sometimes too. And that's okay. That's still progress in that respect. There are so many people that we work with in so many careers that, yes, the, the ultimate answer for their long-term health is to change careers, mm. but that's not an option in the moment. Best example- To a hedge fund manager making $7 million a year. Exactly, right? <laughs> Best example I can think of, um, a longtime client of mine, worked. we worked together for about seven years. He was the most reliable client I've ever had, and he's still to this day a very good friend, and he was a paramedic wanted to learn to work out so he could make the tactical unit so he could go he could be one of the paramedics that went in with SWAT stuff and so he he worked hard he transformed he was an absolute weapon so he did great amazing results but being in that world of emergency medical services he was walking wounded emotionally right I mean like we're talking like for sure PTSD from some of the crap he would tell me and after a few years, there was just a day where he stopped telling me the stories about the stuff he saw at work. And he never again told me another story. There was this just hard point where he just wouldn't talk about it anymore. And I knew that the answer, and he knew that the answer was not being in this career. But it took a few more years, a few more years. And eventually, because he had fallen in love with and realized how beneficial it was for, to his physical and his mental health to be in the gym, he went to physical therapy school. And now he's a year and a half away from graduating and he's, he's able to, he's worked so hard that he's able to like go down to one shift a week while he's in school and he's going to get to leave behind the, the, the shift work and the, the nasty rotations of what that does to your sleep and your metabolic health and into a career that he sees fulfillment in. So sometimes it takes a very long path and sometimes you just, you got to hold them together, do the best you can you know, have a great relationship and, and eventually they may make a change when they're ready for it. Kyle, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Like this has been one of my most personally valuable conversations because I was taking notes and I'm thinking like, there's some things that I can actually apply in my own business, you know, even with, you know, how long I've been doing this, everybody listening. Um, I mean, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So if you want more of this stuff, go follow what Kyle is doing. Where do they find you and compound performance media? Yeah. So, Instagram is the easiest place to find us. Um, that's just compound performance. Um, there's an underscore after it. And then um, we're on threads, of course, now. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but then the website itself is also just www.compoundperformance.com. And that's got information on all the other things that we do. Um, and you can always shoot me an email or a DM or, or whatever. I'm pretty active on both. Wonderful. Everybody, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, if you've been enjoying these, you know, any you keep forgetting, give me a um a review, something positive like that. Share it with a friend. This could be really valuable. I want to grow this. And go follow Kyle, dig into what he's doing with his media. If you're somebody who is new to my podcast because you found this on Kyle's media, well, I've had, well, my buddy Jeb Stewart Johnston, who's part of yours uh, quite a while back. They probably know Jeb if they know me, which is- They know Jeb. I had an episode with Dean. because So Dean Guido is actually my former co-host. We did the first 150 episodes together. That's how this all started. And then I've had 137 since. Uh, I brought Dean on a while ago. And actually, the episode was kind of a, a goodbye because I was going to retire the podcast. But then I decided a couple months later not to, which confused some people. But I realized how valuable this is. And I didn't want to give it up. And I enjoy these conversations. So- but, uh, and you can look through, I have had the industry's who's who, the biggest names all over the place. You will find a really great library of conversations with people that you follow and look up to. So Kyle, thank you again, everybody tuning in. I'll bring you another great guest next week.